what's going on coaches hopefully your week's been good uh we got to get out and get a little golfing in so um have have enjoyed getting out a little bit into the sun um i know everyone's workouts or at least some states their workouts are coming up soon uh here in oklahoma on on june 8th i know texas louisiana as well uh if you guys need anything from us me and coach walls have talked to a lot of different coaches about what they're doing uh in quarantine about um, you know, different workouts they're going to start into, the way to start into workouts. You have anything, any questions for us? Uh, don't, you know, hesitate to reach out to us on Twitter by email. Um, we've also got a lot of good videos for you guys up on, on our website. Uh, we cover everything from installs. We break down some film that we have, some clips. We've got special teams, a bunch of different stuff for you guys. We've got uh, old summits that are available. So uh, any of that that you guys could want, you can find it. Uh, hit us up or just go to our website, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a -a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Brian Frana. Coach Frana has been an OC and offensive line coach at many stops, most recently at Wayne State University in Wayne, Nebraska. Listen as we talk with Coach Frana about everything offensive line, from recruiting, setting up run plays, plans, calling plays, and an in-depth scheme, coaching, and analysis. You can follow Coach Frana on Twitter at Brian Frana. Hope you guys enjoy. I'm a, I'm an Iowa guy. I grew up in Northeast Iowa, a um, little small school, South Winnipeg High School. And uh, from there, I ended up going to junior college. <clears throat> Went to Waldorf College in uh, Forest City, Iowa, back when that was a JUCO. And uh, went there as a defensive lineman and uh, soon found out that uh, it was an offensive lineman. I joke about that because uh, we had a guy there named uh, – uh, Clark was the last name. His, his little brother, people know him as uh, Dallas Clark, but he was a pretty good player who was on defense. And I found out I couldn't run like him, so I got moved over to offensive line. And uh, from there, I ended up going to Eastern Illinois University and <clears throat> playing there and playing center and uh, had a great experience. I mean, those two coaches I played for there, Dave Bolstorff, won 200 games at Waldorf College. And then Bob Spoo was a, a real successful coach at Eastern Illinois. And and uh, played with a, a guy named Tony Romo. That's kind of my claim to fame. I gave him his first college snap in, uh, at Eastern. So <clears throat> that was my playing career and got done. And uh, like everybody else, thought I could keep playing and, and that uh, that didn't happen. And I got back on at Waldorf and uh, started coaching uh, D-line and uh, then moved over to the offense. And next thing you know, I'm the coordinator. And the crazy thing there was – you know, in our second year, they went from uh, two years to four years. So we were playing four-year football my uh, second year there coaching, and uh, we had 10 away games, one home game, and trying to figure things out. And we played all over the place. We were running wishbone beer and, and a quick huddle. And uh, I said, golly, this is, this is all right. I like coaching. And ended up getting on as a graduate assistant at St. Cloud State. <clears throat> and a uh, great experience back in the North Central uh, Randy Hedberg was our coach. Yeah, you know, Randy's up at NDSU, and I joked a little bit. I listened to Connor Riley speak here uh, with you guys a couple weeks ago. Connor was down at Nebraska Omaha and Scott Fuchs and, and all those guys and had a great experience up there, coached the old line for Paul Rudolph. Um, second year, got to coach some different positions, tight end, quarterback, and from there I had to find a real job and ended up over at uh, Lindenwood University down in St. Charles, Missouri. And I uh, was down there for two years, was the offensive line coach to start with. And second year, ended up being the coordinator, had a good run. We were like something like 26-2 and two over a couple of years. And uh, 
then from there, uh, Upper Iowa came calling, which is about 30 miles from where I grew up at. And I knew all about Upper Iowa and knew what I got myself into. And Tom Shea uh, lured me up there <laughs> and uh, got up there and put in five years. And we got that thing turned around. We got a winning record, which doesn't happen too often, often at Upper Iowa and recruited the state and, and uh, had a good run as the old line guy in the OC. And then the next thing you know, I end up at Southwest Minnesota State. And I'm over there with Corey Sauter, who's a old NFL guy. He recruited me up that way. And, and uh, I was the run game coordinator, O-line guy for him. And we got things rolling. And second year there, we had the most wins in their school history, Division Two. And so from there, I ended up going to Wayne State. And that's where I've been at the last couple of years. And uh, kind of everybody's recruiting me, you know, just moving around. And uh, that's how I ended up in Nebraska. And then after a season, our head coach retired. And uh, so here I sit looking for a job in, uh, in March and April, that type of deal, which is okay. It's given me a little bit of time to take a breath and uh, see that Walls is doing something good with his time now, you know, doing the RTP deal, which is awesome. So I've been listening to you guys, and uh, here I am. Coach, man, you know, obviously love the story. You know, always been a, a fun dude. I always thought, you know, to, to hang out with and talk with, you know, and, and always felt like you were just – you know, a, a super strong recruiter, especially, you know, when, when you came into places and the way you could communicate with guys, you know, can you talk a little bit about kind of, you know, your philosophy of, you know, recruiting maybe, and we can probably just start with offensive line being, mm -hmm. you know, I know that's your passion, you know, how you kind of try to build those relationships, find those guys. Are there certain types of guys that you maybe, you know, want to, want to kind of gravitate towards? Are there guys you want to maybe like, ah, I don't know if that guy's going to mesh with, with my personality or mesh yeah. in my room. How do you, how do you kind of, you know, siphon through a lot of those different things? I know a lot of guys have a different style. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. It, uh, you know, you got to look for the kids that are real, that are real people. And, uh, sometimes the term I use, sometimes they're too pretty, you know, if they're too pretty, then they're probably not a, a good fit for me or where I've been. So we've really looked for those blue collar guys. And, uh, you know, I go back to upper Iowa all the time and people go, how do you get people to go to a, a town of 900 people and a school of 600 that costs $40,000 a year. Well, you better work your butt off, but you better find some guys that you can jive with that you can develop, you know, and that's been the big thing, you know, specifically old linemen. I'm always looking for those guys that, you know, that have a little bit of chip on their shoulder, you know, that, that think they're good athletes. And I tell them all the time, Hey, you guys are the best athletes out here. You know, the rest of these guys are 150 pounds and they can run around you guys are 250, 300 pounds, and you got to be athletic and not look like a fool. You're a better athlete than they are. Those guys would die to have 100 more pounds on them. They wouldn't be able to move. So I'm always looking for those guys that have a little chip on their shoulder that think, hey, you know, I'm a little better than what everybody's giving me credit for, um, and I'm going to show them that way. And then, of course, just blue-collar guys, you know. I want the guys that, uh, that are driving the pickup truck, you know, not the uh, BMW or anything like that or <laughs> looking for the, you know, the, the neatest thing. I mean, I want those blue-collar guys that are really into it. And that's kind of where I've been. And, and you know, that's a big thing, too. they got to be able to communicate. You know, I've been a strong recruiter, but it goes both ways. I mean, you're looking for guys who can talk and listen as well, you know, so you can develop those guys. But that's really – it's really where I start looking for those guys that are just true blue collar guys that love it. You know, they just love everything about football. Like when you ask them the question, Hey, what do you love about football? They have a hard time answering it. Not because they don't love it because they love everything about it. I mean, they love the sport itself, the contact, but they love being around people. Uh, they love the meeting rooms. I mean, all that type of stuff. That's what I'm looking for with those guys. I love it. That, that's that's um, something that has actually come up on a lot of the podcasts we've been doing uh, recently, and it's something that Walls talks about, I think, all the time, uh, is just guys that just love football. And, and that's what he looks for um, in not only players, obviously, but that's what he's looking for when he's looking to hire a coach or bring on a coach or finding guys that he wants to be around as coaches or guys that love football. They just love like you said, it's they love it so much. It's hard to tell you one thing about it that they love because they just love all of it. Yeah, there's no doubt. If I mean, if they have that trait, then they're gonna you're gonna develop those guys. If you can coach a lick, those guys are gonna help you in some shape or form. I mean, I, I firmly believe that. 
What I think too, I mean, you know, you, you talk about some of the places, I mean, let's just, to be honest, I mean, they, you're, you're not working the, the most glamorous jobs. I mean, any one of us could walk into, you know, a meeting room at Alabama, at Clemson, and, and there's, there's literally thousands of coaches, I think, across the country that could go win there because the talent's going to be unbelievable. You know, the, the, the logo you have on your polo, it's going to be super easy. To me, I was always drawn to the guys that were at, you know, places like in Upper Iowa, places like a Southwest Minnesota, you know, places I've been and I've seen and, and, and coached. And then when guys win there and guys get guys to go there, to me, that's like the, the ultimate. You know, I, when, I was, mm-hmm. when I was at Tulsa, you know, when they were like, Walls, I want you to find guys. I look for the guys, you know, that, that, you know, TCU was recruiting at the time or the guys that, you know, Boise State was recruiting at the time because I'm like, those are the kids that you said, dude, they got the chip on their shoulder. They're maybe an inch too short. You know, mm-hmm. there may be a tenth off, but those are the guys in my mind that can quote coach. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, that's uh, that's the challenge of it, and I've said that to a lot of people. You know, when we were at Lindenwood, we were really good coaches because we won a lot of games, and uh, we brought that same scheme and everything to Upper Iowa. And guess what? It wasn't very good when we didn't have the same players. You know, and what I'm getting at with that story is I'm a heck of a lot better coach after being at places like Upper Iowa and Southwest, because you got to coach guys differently. you got to get guys out there that are bought in. There's no doubt. I mean, everybody uses the term culture all the time, you know, and what's culture and what is that. And it's the most overused term around, but you got to get guys that are bought into the coaches, you know, that believe, hey, these guys know what the heck's going on, and I'm really going to trust them. And then you got to figure out how to put them in a great situation to be successful. And that might not be the same as it was – at the last place or the game before or the rep before or whatever it may be, but those guys got to believe in you as a person. And again, like you said, it comes back to recruiting. You know, if you make a connection with that kid and that kid is really bought into you and you like him, Hey, let's go. That's a perfect marriage. You know, let's, let's, let's get rocking with it and get to work. Coach, what I thought was interesting was as you talk about one of your first jobs and having, you know, 10 away games uh, that, that first season um, and, and what popped into my mind, I know probably for a coach, uh, not ideal, but w- when I was in college, we were at Houston, which was cool, but uh, the home field advantage wasn't all that awesome. We loved going uh, to away games because we got to go to, you know, some really, really cool stadium. So all I could think of was, man, that as a player, that would have been an awesome <laughs> season. We get to travel and we get to go to some really cool stadiums. Oh yeah. They, it was a, it was a great seller to begin with till they found out we didn't stay overnight anywhere. We, uh, <laughs> we, we played the air forces, air force Academy's JV and took off at 10 o'clock at night and drove out there, arrived and said, Hey, we're going to go to the varsity game. And, uh, Great varsity game to go to. A guy named Urban Meyer was coaching uh, Utah, and the game went into overtime, and they beat Air Force. And we're all standing there, and we said, okay, so what's next? Oh, down to the locker room over here. We get to play next. So we played in the stadium while they were blowing it out with the leaf blowers and, and doing all that. I mean, we, that's, that's what it was. We took off the morning of. We went and played Minnesota Duluth that year, drove right up there, eight. Eight hours, here you go, kick off at one, that type of deal. So, yeah, it was, it was about the sell. You know, it was, hey, we're going to go some neat places and we're going to be on TV. We're going to play. We played Drake. You know, that was a big deal for those guys being Iowa kids to play Drake. So that was definitely the sell. But it was, it was a battle. That was for sure. It, uh, you really, everywhere I've been since then, I don't mind a little bit of a road trip. Coach, you know, you're in kind of a unique situation. So, you know, I knew when we'd get you on, I wanted to be able to ask this question, but I know we get a lot of guys who, you know, kind of ask us, you know, one of two questions, you know, thinking, you know, maybe we can help out or at least, you know, give them some, some insight or some advice, but you know, one, they're either, you know, looking for a new job and it could be at the high school level or two, you know, they're looking to get into to college. So, you know, you're kind of in that, that transition mode right now. I just, I just kind of wanted, you know, to ask you, you know, what's it kind of like, and then, you know, what are some of the things that you're, kind of doing and obviously you don't have to give you know specifics but what are some things that you're kind of doing you know to to make sure you're kind of be able to to get to that yes definitely well it's it's been good you know it it's been good to take a break because again you know I've been going 100 miles an hour for 18 years and uh 
and I give my wife credit for that where she was, you know, I had opportunities right away to take some jobs and she said, why don't, why don't you just relax a little bit and take a deep breath and see what's going on out there. And, uh, and that's what I've done. I've done that a little bit. I've stepped back, uh, kind of stepped away from it. You know, the hardest part for me was during recruiting, not being involved in recruiting because to me as a college coach, that's, that's your game day, right? I mean, that's when you get competitive. That's when you're beating that, guy that you know that's at some other place on a kid and landing them. You know, on Saturdays during the season, the kids are the ones winning ultimately. I mean, we all want to win, but they're the ones winning the games. But so it's been it's been good. It's been a good deal for me to sit back, relax a little bit. I shouldn't say relax, but look at the big picture because as far as levels and, and places, um, and I always joke this, and you know this, Walls, just this statement, but every college coach wants to be a high school coach and every high school coach wants to be a college coach. And that is a true statement, right? Because the grass is always greener. And uh, so I've had some chance to look at things, you know, and the big thing I'm looking for is just to be in a good situation with good people, you know, where it's, where it's important. uh, We have the resources to get it done and have a chance to raise my family and enjoy what we're doing and being around the right people. And I know that's a general you know, answer to that, but that's, that's where I'm at with it, you know, so we'll see how that plays out, you know, right now, nothing's going on, which is understandable, and I totally get that, and and something will work out, but that's kind of where I'm at with it, but, you know, during that time, football-wise, you know, what have I been looking at, and, and uh, what have I been doing, I'm at that point now where I have lots of guys who played for me that are coaching at, at different levels, and it's been good researching what they've done because, you know, common language wise, yeah, they end up, you know, Hey, they got our system. They're using our system that we've used over the last that I've used, you know, over the last 15 years. So I've been really studying those guys and kind of seeing, Hey, what'd you do with this? You know, where's this at as far as this play or this formation or this tempo and uh, really digging into that. I've been digging through cut-ups for the last 10 years. It's been the first time, really, that I've had a chance to go through all my cut-ups and watch stuff. So I'm trying to put those in order and, and look at them and, and look at what's good and, and understand why we got away from something or why we went to something. But really just researching the language more than anything and the communication within the no huddle has been good. Um, and then, you know, my little pet project's been just unbalanced formations. Um, <clears throat> for me, for years, unbalanced was a thing that I fought because as an online guy and a guy who likes to ID and make sure we block everybody, I couldn't really justify doing it because then I didn't know where anybody was lining up. And I felt like I was selling the kids short. Well, you know, over the last couple of years, I've gotten into more unbalanced and and I understand the issues that it gives a defense. So I've really been kind of researching that and seeing how I can put that into a system play calling wise and signal wise and all that, because to me, it's all about being efficient, you know, just your language, you know, because that's, like I said, over the last uh, dozen years, I've been a no huddle guy and, and I like the no huddle, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at, where I'm at right now. All right, Coach, that brings me to a great, uh, a great question for me. So I'm, I'm in the exact same boat as you. Uh, I think I had, was a little more open to unbalanced because Walls brought me into it when I was a really young coach. But I think the tough part, obviously, is, like you said, you got no idea how they're going to line up to it. And so – how have you decided now that you're going to balance that? Because it does give us some great looks, but it could give us great looks for not the play that we're running. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it comes back to Paul Rudolph's a mentor of mine, and he's a guy that, you know, makes things simple. He's our coordinator at St. Cloud, and, you know, and his deal is they can only line up a few ways. And, and he's exactly right. The good teams can only line up a few ways, but, you know, how about the teams that have no idea what to do? You know, <laughs> right. those are, you don't, that's the last thing you want to do is reward those guys, right, for looking bad. And uh, so with all that, that thought process, to me what it comes down to is I, I think it comes down to gap scheme. I think that if you can teach off the gap scheme to begin with, uh, that makes it simpler because who the heck cares where they're at, right? 
I mean, power is down, down, back, and around. I mean, that's it. And I think that's where you start start with the play is you start building off your gap scheme because your gap scheme rules by design should be simple. And uh, so for me, that's where I'm at with it, that we're going, okay. So this last year we ran a lot of uh, counter GY, GH, whatever you want to call it, um, out of unbalanced. And it was perfect, right? They understood that. Again, they were just gap back, gap back, and, and pull and kick out and wrap around, you know? So that's really how I'm managing it. And I think you build the zone from there, you know, and then it's just a matter of how you teach your zone. And lots of times I think stretch will be the play that, that plays into it because your combos aren't as important on a stretch play as they are an inside zone. And, and for me, it, it's, been, it's been funny to uh, listen to these guys fight about the difference between duo and inside zone, huh? I mean, you guys, you guys think that's, that's funny know, stuff right I don't know there. if funny is the, the right word for us, but, yes, it's something for sure. Well, that's been going on. That's been like 10 years right there in the making. And, and Doug Patterson and Scott Fuchs and Butch Berry will tell you that. We had the, that conversation, too. I said, hey, it's the same play, except I call freaking duo uh, is just inside zone opposite is what it is. There's some sort of jab in there. And so I've been a real vertical inside zone guy for a long time. And, uh, but that conversation was 10 years ago at the cool clinic and Butch Berry, which I think he's at green Bay. Now um, he's like, no, it's not. He like, he couldn't wrap his brain around it. And I'm like, and the two college, two other college guys are like, yeah, I get it. You know? So <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? Right. And you know, you see Paul Alexander and he's like, ah, it's not the same. I'm like, well, I, I think it is, but you know, so getting back to your question, like he said, I think if you work with the gap scheme to begin with, then it's not as big a deal with where people are at because you just, you really have simple rules in the gap scheme. If you're going to be successful with that, any sort of gap scheme anyway. How many plays then, you know, when you guys do put in an unbalanced look, you know, you know, you're going to run a gap. You're probably going to have some sort of counter off of it. How many plays do you put in to kind of quote that little package? Uh, to me, um, as far as run plays, I would say there's probably three three run plays off of every unbalanced formation and then one pass play to complement it, you know, and that pass play is usually play action. So, so like right now, you know, for us this last year, it was counter, it was counter, it was uh, power and it was pin and pull, you know, the horn play, the old uh, horn play from Nevada is what I still call it. Those were the three plays. And then we ran play action off of that as far as that goes. Now that play action um, you know, whatever it may be. It could have been off the power read action, all right? We did do some sprint out. I think sprint out is really good out of unbalanced as well, um, just because you're dictating man lots of times out of unbalanced. So then you're easy enough that you're just putting some sort of man beater in, uh, in running that. And we had some success doing that against some of the better teams in our league, league is just getting in unbalanced and then running sprint out and uh, seeing if one guy can win. Okay, Coach, so you, you talked about the GY or GH. Um, what's the guard's coaching point for you? Uh, are you guys – he's got to get kicked, even if it's a log look. Are you still giving him kicked? What are, what are we telling him? All right, I got your uh, – this is an awesome deal here, right? Because if you got really good players, you want to pull, you want to open, you want to go into the line right off the butts of those guys and kick that guy out, same foot, same shoulder, awesome, and pull up inside of there. Okay, that's great. I have had zero guys that can do that ever, okay? <laughs> so here's what we've got to. We did it this year, and uh, like I said, our head coach was the O-line guy this year. So it was uh, – and I told him, hey, this is what we've done when we ran counter because our guys could never get in there. Um, so we just ran bypass. We literally opened up that guard, that first puller, opened up, ran flat down the line, and if the guy is wrong-arming him, then he would wrap him and climb, is what he did. If he ran flat down the line and he could collision him, then he collisioned him and stayed inside out. The second puller would always just read what the first puller is doing. So, it's uh, yeah, counter bypass is what it is. And you see it happen. Like, if you go and study your film and you run counter, you'll see it happen where that guy wrong-arms so bad you go by him 
and uh, and he never even sees him, right? He's just buried him in there, and the guy turns up and takes the backer, who's a force player now, and then the tight end or whoever the fullback takes the next guy. That's literally how we taught it. For the reason being is to get those guards moving, you know, get them running instead of when you tell them all that stuff, you know, hey, same foot, same shoulder, inside out, it's a such and such angle, all great stuff. Love it. I wish I had guys we could coach it that way. Never works out that way, you know, because they're getting wrong arms so bad and all that tight end is has to work around that and then it's bouncing and you can't get the ball downhill. So I am a big counter bypass guy. Take that guy, open him up, and run, right, and run. And if there's nobody to kick out, then turn up and look inside out. What do you think of that? I love it. It's, we, it's we, not, we're not very good. No, we're just not very good at counter. Uh, we just haven't been very good. Um, I think we run power pretty well. Uh, we've had two seasons where, um, you know, it's been really good for us. And then – Obviously, the, the thought process is run counter uh, to the weak side, but and, and probably it's a lot of walls influence, but we just end up running power to the weak side because for whatever reason, it just seems like kicking with that fullback was so much easier than the guard trying to get the kick. And it, I, it seemed like it was basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's you know the thought process is that guard who's pulling is no different if you're running your your zone seal your zone swipe right and then you start bypassing that tight end right and he's doing the same deal going down that line of scrimmage and that guy's squeezing he's wrong arming and just wrapping around him right and looking inside out so the it's the same thought process you can take those guards and those tight ends those Y's those H's whatever they are and go work the same drill work with those guys, working out of a stance, working out of a two-point, and just going and hauling butt. Because, again, as long as they're going fast on that deal, um, it's, it's going to be all right. And then what it does is it cleans up the pitcher for the second guy. That's the biggest thing, you know, is people go, well, what, how, does the, how does the second guy, how does that Y know what to do? Well, it's real stinking easy. If he sees him still just running right there, he's going to – he, he's going to throttle down and be able to just get hands on that wrong arm guy and cover him up. And it really screws up the fits. I mean, it's good stuff. And, and you can do a lot of different things to it, you know, if, you, if you're getting that. I mean, you can toss the ball. You can go take the back opposite and things like that as well. But it really made the counterplay so much better for us once we eliminated all that teaching and said, hey, you open up, open that toe to the sideline, and sprint. Yep, I, I, that was that'd be a lot easier way than than I think that we try to get it done um, uh, to to work that in. Uh, do you guys do you work much uh, one back power? I, I don't know if one back powers is the word to use, but um, the not having a tight end and a fullback, just one guy to kick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just I mean, you're talking as far as. Uh, like 10 personnel pulling the guard, like a long trap, or are you talking true one-back power? Like No, yeah, I'm thinking 11 or 20 personnel, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, for sure. I mean, that's when we were at Southwest, 11 personnel, one-back power was – that was our top play. That's what we ran all the time, and we ran it with a – it was an A-gap insert as far as where the back was going. The back had just two choices. He was – he was a backside A or frontside A, and he read the backside linebacker is what he did. And, uh, you know, and, of course, that play is awesome to a nine, right, a nine and a three, but we ran it to, you know, a six and a two. Uh, we ran it to an underfront. We were really a guy short, but we, with having the back read the backside uh, inside backer, we've, we always figured we could gain a hat back there if that guy played over the top. So, that's why it really plays into what I was talking about with the on balance that we can run that play because everybody understands how to run that because that was always part of a, a quick play. Like we use that, we do a bunch of different tempo things, you know, where we can say one word and we run three different plays out of three different formations as quick as we can. And uh, one back power has always been that first play, you know, I'm giving things away, but it's always <laughs> been that first play of, uh, of a tempo series. And so for that reason, because it's, it's simple, you know, well, see just, that it, it always scared me 
to run it to the under front. That was going to be my very first question. How do you guys, you know, do an under front? Because I've kicked around that idea. We've tried and, and we've turned it into dart and pulled the tackle and now doubled. But then that's a whole other ball game. And now you also got to take care of the backside end. Uh, and, and it's just, to me, that was the, the, has been the only thing that, you know, causes me nightmares on one back power. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, was the under front. Like you said, if, if tailback's reading the backside linebacker, but I didn't know if, if you guys had a throw or off of it or if you had a, some yeah, kind of a check. We've always had throws off of it. Here's the deal. It's, uh, you know, the front side of one back power looks the same for those guys on the front side as it does Oki or under. They don't know the difference, right? I mean, they got a, a five and a nine and they got a lock on those guys. And then everybody else is working, you know, if it's Oki, you're working the zero back to the backside inside backer, you know, and then hinging with the backside tackle and there you go. And you play. And really off of that, you should be throwing off that Sam backer in the alley away from that. Well, those guys don't understand the difference on it uh, on the front side. Cause it's still the same. Now going to under, we just know now the center has got to go back to the three we got the hinge there, so those guys got to take care of the three and the five. The guard's down on the one technique, trying to blast him. And then, like I said, how we've, we've had throws off of it. I mean, and it's been good. The throws are there. But honestly, it's been such a statement play and such a quick play that as long as that back read that backside backer, and we told him, hey, if that backer plays over the top, it goes in the backside A. There is no, there is no reading nothing. Don't look at the guard. I mean, you're looking at that backer. If it's in the back, if he's over the top, you're back in there. You pour it in there. We're going to go to the next play. We'll take the three yards. If he stays where he's at, then we're going straight ahead. And same deal. You're going to get your three yards off that and go to the next one. You know, and again, like I said, that's always been a part of, you know, ideally if we're looking to play, yeah, I'm not calling one back power against under. But that's why it's been so good as part of a, a series because, that play, everybody rallies to the ball on the defense, right? And it's going right down the A-gap. Well, then the next play, we usually come back and we throw a lot of our hitch boot stuff off of that. So you're going to punish that corner and punish that safety and punish that defense for rallying to the freaking party, right? And so but that's how we've taught it. Coach, I love it, man. Um, when, we, when you guys get into the odd front then and, you know, talking gap scheme and, and you're dealing with that four and that four eye, you know, can you talk a little bit about the technique? You're, you're teaching the, uh, the tackles to be able to displace those guys. Or, again, yeah. is that something where you guys might arc out onto the overhang and then try to kick that four eye out? You guys kind of yeah. do both? Or how do, you, how do you teach that technique? Yeah, so definitely. So, I mean, if we're going true one-back power with attached tight end, 11 personnel, we're going to say a four, four I and a six, right? We're always going to just teach those guys, like, we are truly teaching that tackle. If it's the right tackle and the right tight end right there, we are truly teaching those guys to just get inside and turn them out is what's going on with that. So because you're going to get all those twists over there, right? We call them X stunts, right? They're Xing and doing whatever. So we're literally teaching those guys, if they're on the right side, they are really stepping to go to the inside number, right, to get to the inside number and turn, they will turn their butts in the hole if they get there with it. If they step to it and the guy comes out, right, if he's moving away from you, then you know it's a twist, so play the twist. That's, that's how the tackle will learn it. So the tackle's right there, say he's got a four, say he's got a four, he's stepping with his left foot with a width step, Second step to the crotch, right? And there you go, and we're driving if he's staying right on me. If that guy moves out, he is literally turning out and looking for the looper coming around on that because the tight end is going to take the same type of footwork as far as that goes, right? So they're really playing the twist and really just walling those guys out because everything's pouring inside there. They know it's not coming outside. And to me, that's, that's why I bring up the whole duo comment and, and with inside zone. If we run open side inside zone uh, to the tackle and he's got a five technique and say we're running to the shade, why does that five technique need to reach – why does that tackle need to reach that five technique? Why not pass set him, be inside out, and just stay inside out and keep the C gap wide, right? And it's mm-hmm. the same idea there. Just keep him out of the B gap, however it may work. So dig him out and get inside out. Is that something that you guys will work? I mean, knowing, knowing obviously you're going to work the, the individual technique, 
is that a lot of stuff that you work, you know, hey, we're facing an odd front this team and they do a lot of the X twist. Is yeah. that something you guys will do in tandem then with kind of the tight ends coach? Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, really, if it's something that we think they're really, really good at that way, we, we'll have them make a call over there where they'll work the backside zone combo, but they're really on the front side, right? You follow me? They're going to work a tackle with the tight end trailing combo to the freaking wide guy, you know? So that's what they're working. So that combo, you know, we're going to get that work. That combo is going to happen on the backside of zone to the open side, right? And it's going to happen to the front side of one back power as well, because we'll give them the tools to use that. Say it's something where, like you're saying, they got a true four eye, right? And uh, that tackle's got to dig them out. Well, you got to bring the tight end with you just in case you get movement, right? So all we know now is we're just comboing that four eye to that stand-up guy over the tight end. So we can get double work off that deal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm taking notes. So if you hear like pauses, coach, like a lot of people think that Harp and I are just like, you know, right, asking questions, going down a list. We literally take notes. So we're learning. <laughs> We're learning as you guys are telling us too, man. I love this stuff. I got it going on too. I, I'm taking notes as you guys are talking as well because there's some things you guys ask me like, hey, that's a good, good point. But, yeah, just being efficient, you know, and that's been the thing for me. I've been able to be the tight ends guy and the old line guys, so they understand that. And, again, it goes back to that conversation about unbalanced. To me, it's like, well, what are you doing, Frano? Let's go. Let's run some unbalanced because those stinking tight ends know what's going on. And that's kind of what happened. Uh, my first season at Wayne State here, our wide receiver guy was our, our, tight, end, our uh, tight end at Upper Iowa. And uh, so, boy, I mean, he was – I mean, he caught 185 balls in his four years at Upper Iowa. So he had some thoughts. But, man, he knew more than what I thought. You know, so like I said, this time has been good that, hey, you know, how we did some things before is probably the way to do it. You know, and we need to get back to that. Because at Upper Iowa, those old linemen and tight ends – they were with us all the time. It didn't matter. They were always met as a group. They, we never let those guys meet with skill guys because, you know, they're, they're going to catch the ball if it's thrown to them. Otherwise, we're not going to throw it to them. So they better learn how to block so they can be out there. <laughs> I, I'm completely with you there. That's, that's where our tight ends um, are most of the time in, in practice. They come, come with the offensive line. Um, and, and I think what's nice to have them there is – uh, all the different double teams that we may work with power. If we're doubling a, a head up four on, on true, you know, two back power, uh, they'll have that double team. They have the same backside inside zone double teams if they were going against odd or a five. Um, mm -hmm. And so I love having them over there. I just always worry about keeping them over there too much. Or if I need to work something with just the interior guys, you know, how do I find a way? And, and a lot of times it just ends up becoming – you've got a six technique and dig them out, but then I can't do it with them. And, and you always, you know, and then I'm like, okay, well, can we, can we put them with our tackles and our tackles are digging out a four and put them with mm -hmm. the tight ends as well. And trying to find ways that, that we're not wasting their time with them, you know, doing something they're not going to do. Yeah, definitely. And then that's a challenge and that's, yeah. I mean, you just got to make sure when you're going down that line with them, you know, that you're working those guys every single time that they're doing something that time you put them over there where they're just standing you know and saying hey I'm just working with interior guys that's uh that's when they're gonna go hey this isn't that cool but, <laughs> you know that and that's how I've been you know that's what you're talking about teaching progression wise and in combinations you know we might start with the group and have the tight end on the front side to the right side we're gonna work front side we're going right right so everything's right so a front side combo with those tight ends so so you might be able to say exactly what I just said there hey now this play is uh this is one back power to the front side right here. What are you guys going to call here? Well, it's actually a backside call, but we're going to use this now with this four eye and the stand up nine, and we're going to combo the four eye to the stand up guy, you know? So that's, and we just work down that line that way. So they're always involved that way. But yeah, I totally understand what you're saying with it. Cause there's times you want to grab those inside three and just say, <laughs> Hey, this is what we're going to do all practice. Right. That's right. Well, so, so the big thing, my big question, and I don't have, you know, maybe the, the balls to do it just yet. We teach the throw over with center and guard. If we're running like one back power and we got the head up nose, uh, we're, we actually do teach the double two hands at the center. We're going to hit the hip with the guard, stay in square and kind of do that throw over double team work okay. really vertical for the backside linebacker. I've seen a lot of teams 
get into and say that that's a really easy technique that they like to use with their tight ends. So when their tight ends and tackles are double teaming, whether that sounds like to me backside of inside zone or if it's their true two-back power, they're doubling the four, they're going to instead let the tackle go two hands, uh, let the tight end now not think of it as a true double, but like a, a throw over into the hip, let the tackle torque it in and let him, you know, stay vertical up to the backside linebacker. Is that something that you've toyed with at all, used it all with your tight ends? Do you find yeah. that easier for them? A little bit. What's uh, I know exactly what you're saying, and here's what we got to, again, trying to streamline things. And, again, my thought process is always different because I've been the coordinator, been the online guy, been the tight end guy doing all that. We have got to, uh, with any of those, any double-team combos, it's all post and slam to us, okay? So if that covered guy's got a, a even technique, right, a zero or a four, he's going to step with width and the second step to the crotch, and he is really the guy that is eyeing who we're going to, okay? And then we've used the, the, the trail guy, so the guard or the tight end has been the slam guy. And it's a thought process that we got from NDSU, right, because of A-gap power and, uh, and how they teach the tackle, right? If they're going at the three technique, uh, A-gap power, you know, Connor Riley and Scott Fuchs and, and all those guys, A.J. Blazek, that tackle is running and he's clearing B, clearing A, and you turning to the second level. And that's how we've teaching all those combos. So it doesn't matter if it's a tackle tight end or if it's the center and the guard. He's going to step off to see where he's going, get vertical with the second step. That trail guy, we have taken his face and his hands right to the hip, trying to displace that guy and wash and then be able to U-turn to the second level and, and go see it from there. So he'll react to that movement because – it, it we're saying kind of the same thing, but really enabling those guys to displace that guy horizontally. And, uh, and you know, my saying always is, hey, Vern's uh, uh, zone is vertical and freaking power is horizontal, okay? Zone is vertical, power is horizontal. And that's the difference, you know? So that's when they used to get work in the combo then on a zone and that trail guy looks at it, that, that first cover guy is going to work it the same way. He's going to step the same way. But now what's going to happen is that trail guy is really reading that near knee. And if that knee goes away, now he's going to get vertical instead of being flat and trying to displace that guy laterally. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. Yep. I got you. That's so that's kind of where, you know, that's a lot of what I've thought of in the, in the past, but I'm always trying to obviously try to get the zone and gap scheme to be, the same area double team you know what I mean like yeah. I, I'd like for them both to be vertical or both to be horizontal I just don't know that that's you know if it does that work you know for me or not because in the past uh it we've the recently we've been very tried to be vertical with all of our double teams yeah Cap zone whatever we're going to stay very very vertical uh but on a lot of our power stuff uh you know like you kind of talk about you go back and actually watch the film um, when we do hit the play really big, it, it ends up the guy slants from a three inside, and now it's a huge it, – yeah. we end up getting horizontal movement is where we're getting all of the, all of the big plays that we hit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really is. Like every, every one of those plays that I said, like I said, the big zone plays are vertical, and, the, you know, and then the big freaking power plays are horizontal. I'm talking about movement up front with what they're doing. I'm not talking about the back end. And uh, so that's why for us, we were able to really marry those up and go, well, hey, what's the difference on his own combo coach? You know, that trail guy, you know, he's freaking on, on a power combo, right? He's just freaking nailing that. Now he's got to look and make a decision, right? He's got to go, hey, all right, uh, that guy's not hanging. I can't overtake him. Uh, I'm going to get back vertical, you know? And it marries up because – then you start thinking about that with stretch because, to me, stretch is the hardest thing to teach, but everybody teaches it somewhat on steps, right? Hey, I'm taking three steps. you got to make a decision. Well, it's the same, same idea on inside zone then, too, that, hey, I'm going down to that guy, right, and he is going away. Well, now I can do it on two steps, hopefully, but you better do it on three if he's not going uh, to you or hanging. And so, but the power, it just, to me – it made our power play better once 
we sat down with those guys for about three days. And I mean, it really, I mean, they tell that tackle every single time, clear B, clear A, U-turn. I mean, and that's what you're doing. Just boom, just run off there. Just freaking rail that guy. Hit him as hard as you can. You know, he doesn't see it coming. Like take some of the, uh, the, you know, you're enabling them is what I'm saying. You know, you're not freezing them so much and them thinking like, Hey, we're going to try to get this thing vertical because there's guys, you know, we started when we, when I got here, you know, our line coach taught them, yeah, vertical double team on the power play. Well, you know what? There's a lot of times that vertical double team, we can't move that three technique and we're sitting there going, Oh, and nobody gets off on the backer and everything straight ahead and the backer can hit it. Well, at least if we move that first level, Hey, we got a chance because that backer's still at four yards. You know, and, that, and that's my thought process. And everybody always say that, right? We're all O-line guys, and you're all going to say, hey, take care of that first level first and then go to the second level. But, you know, you got to make sure you check yourself and, and see if that's actually happening. So by working <laughs> yeah. those, those combos that way, that's happening. We're taking care of that first level. Coach, that, you know, it leads me into the, the question I was going to ask you too then. I mean, and I don't know how much – you know, if you guys run some 10 personnel inside zone, but knowing you guys, you know, you want to be a, a vertical team and, and you're going to say against, you know, the odd front or the tight front. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, tackles are covered. We're, we got a, a zero nose and, you know, whatever they're going to do with their linebackers. Mm-hmm. Are you doing stuff where you're still trying to combo that or is it pretty much going to turn into almost like single blocks with the guys that are covered and then your two un- uncovered guys, you know, <laughs> would be climbing to those guys and kind of creating that vertical void knowing that you're, you're kind of, you know, if you angle it, you're kind of having to move it sideways, and then all those linebackers fall back, and, and that's where they, they spill and put the ball anyway. Yeah. You know, are you doing some things where it's like, you know, try to create kind of some of those vertical voids in it, you know, not letting them gap you out? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if we're getting a, we're getting a five-man box that way, like a true Okie, yeah, we are, we're more vertical. Like, I just watched our 15 film. And, uh, and I'll send it to you guys in Southwest, and you're going, what is that? But we get a five-man box. Our guys would call it out and say, boom, you five got those five. Now that play side guard might check that near knee real quick, but he's making a decision, right, and he's getting up on them. And we're just running off that nose. You know, we're running right off the nose with the backs pushing that backside hip of the center and just going and just pouring it in there. So, yeah, definitely. That, and that's why – to me, I've always been a guy where I, I've ID'd somebody, right? We're IDing where we're going, you know, so we have an idea. And, uh, and our guys got really good at going, hey, if we can ID it's a five-man box, we know it's getting handed off. And, um, and really, that's how – when we were at Lindenwood, we were all 10 personnel. We were all 10 personnel. We had two plays. We had, we had zone and we had counter, all right? And we ran zone – it was a five-man box our center called it. it was all silent count boom he just said mambo mambo and it's getting handed off and if we had an overhang to the front side it became stretch and we read the back side in and we threw whatever off of it that's what we did and uh, and it's still the same idea we're not doing the silent count anymore but it's the same idea those guys can figure out hey there's five we're going to block those five here we go let's play because again that's something that you can put on those guys and go hey you guys can't block those five, man. I mean, there's got to be somebody who wants to play out there, right? So. All right, Coach, that brings me to, uh, to me, the, the lineman's worst nightmare, but, but what everyone's got to do, how would you guys execute your silent count? Our silent count, that's good stuff. We executed it um, really – I mean, this is exactly how we do our silent count. Our, uh, our quarterback would get up there, he would give them the ready and point down, and our center literally, and this is like I said, we used a ton of silent. We did all silent at Lindenwood for two years, and I did it for two years at Upper Iowa. Um, and then he looked through his legs, and the center popped his head up, and he freaking checked the box. He called out the numbers, made a call, and on his go. And, uh, and that's exactly what it was. So the quarterback would be ready, and we'd either hear it. He'd also point, you know, so he could look through his legs if it's a point where he couldn't hear He'd look up, he'd go, hey, 4-1, mambo, mambo, go. And we use go because the point is just, just getting that G is, is a little bit more than the hook, you know, as far as that goes. So we use go with that. And, uh, 
and I loved it. I mean, it was good. It was really good. I mean, we used it with motion. Uh, the quarterback's got to figure out his motion and figure out the rhythm a little bit more with the motion. It's harder to do jet and things like that. It totally is. Um, we've gotten to, it's funny because everybody's using the clap now a little bit. We actually use the clap uh, when we don't have a play call and we use it to shift in motion because people jump like no other with the clap because they freaking watch football, right? They watch football and those <laughs> yeah. guys see that and they want to freaking, they'll give it away right away. If we're going to shift a bunch of guys, we will always clap and those guys will, I mean, you're going to know where it's coming from, you know? So instead of using a word to tell them to move, we clap. Or if we have a, uh, you know, no play, we'll clap on that. I mean, we, we average like three offsides a game this year, three offsides where we snapped it and threw it a game just using the clap. So just a little reverse thought process on that. So what, how did you guys work it? That's where, that's where I come into our biggest, uh, our biggest issue. Uh, we use silent, some type of a silent count in, in the gun. Um, and so, but I want to be able to be with our guys. I want them to get time just like a defense alignment. You know, I feel bad for the tackles just like a defense alignment. We need to be to me working fall, get off or, or something. Um, but I, I'd like to go verbal while we're practicing, so I, I feel like we're getting more reps. How did you guys work that? Did you, did you tell those guys, listen for the go? Did you tell them peak with, with their eye? Um, how did that work? How would you get that done in practice? Yeah, it was a, it's a great question because I had never heard of it when we did it. And, uh, and I was like, ah, that doesn't make any sense. And uh, the biggest thing, you start thinking about it, it does make sense because those tackles are closer – to the center than they are to the quarterback with your back turned to them and the freaking, right? The, the speed of sound is closer. So we really, we really, we didn't have to peak, all right? I mean, there's times you'd have to peak, but we didn't really have to. You know, we tell them, hey, if you really can't hear, you got to peak. But honestly, they were really listening for it. It became, what it became was rhythmic, you know? By the time they said the box, four two four two mambo, mambo, go! I mean, they were they were really anticipating it and almost rolling into it is what I'm getting at. So it was it's no different than ready, set, hut, and using those three uh, words than when we were identifying the box, right, and then making a call and going from there. It's really four words. So no, we really went off the center and just the center doing it, and it was actually really good in practice. Like you said, we're doing those combo drills. Well, then the center's got to be involved the whole time. You know, that guy's calling the – he's calling it every single time, you know. So, he's involved in that, which is perfect because that's the most important player on the field anyway is the center. He's the only guy who touches the ball every single play on offense. And everybody will say it's the quarterback, but that's not true. What if I snap it to the uh, freaking fullback, right? What if we're in wildcat, that type of deal. So, put a lot of onus on those guys, you know. And I've had really good centers. I've had three Remington Award winners – and, uh, and I don't know if it's because I'm a good coach or because it's, they have to do a lot of stuff, you know, they're an extension of, of myself. And so, no, they listened in, those tackles did, and they, they were all right with it. I gotcha. Well, we had, we had a really smart center in college. Uh, he was, he was uh, you know, my best friend, roommates, all that good stuff. But um, I hated his guts when we went silent because he would cheat uh, for himself and he'd snap it before he'd say go, so he could get he could get the best get off on certain plays. If he was reaching somebody or he needed to really get off the ball, and I called him on it, he's like, "Yeah, yep, I do it. F you, I got mine." Oh yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it too. I mean, if those guys are smart about it, that they will. They're going to use that thing to their advantage all the way. Which, I mean, you're always looking for a little advantage being a center and being up on the ball anyway. <laughs> that's hilarious. How many times? How many times you make him buy the uh, the beverages then, Harper? Because he'd screw you on maybe a sack. <laughs> a lot. No, I, I I didn't. I didn't just allow it. I I started complaining to the coach. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We should. You know, I was. I needed every advantage I could get. I was. I was just as. Un, I was more unathletic. I guess I was off the ball a little bit. Yeah, then get down there and go snap. That's how you always fix that deal, right? You go down there and say, hey, tackles. You go down there and snap then. I mean, it was – and there is some validity to that too. That's how you find guys. And we were just uh, 
Well, the hog football chat the other night, they were talking about uh, your backup center, who that is. And in my coaching point over the years of uh, being a coach is your backup center better be on the field. All right. So if your starting center goes down, it better be a dude that's been taking some reps because that cat who comes in next that's been sitting on the bench, that snap is not going to be good at some point because that guy has not gotten any reps of freaking playing against who he's playing against. You know, so that's always a good point. That's how you find people that way, too. If they think the center's job's easy, you go, hey, you go give it a try, and you'll find out real quick if they can do it or not. <laughs> well, see, I, I was that guy. I was exactly what you talk about. I was the guard next to the center that if he ever – helmet ever came off, I was the one that go to snap. But I never told my coach because I knew he'd freak out, but I always had my, my gloves taped on my hands. So they'd be drenched by my second series, and I was just going to hope and pray that it made it back there. oh yeah oh yeah so so last kind of thing on centers um how is there a way that you teach them to snap i again all the good ones i've ever been and not a ton but it's almost been like they say yeah go snap ten thousand times and and you end up snapping it pretty well but i don't know that i've ever been around a coach that is you know ever look at centers you know kind of first or be really specific with, with centers of, of all the coaches I've been around. No, I, I, I got a whole routine with these guys, all right? Um, first things first is you have to teach them to how, how to throw a football, all right? And because big guys never learn how to throw a football, right? <laughs> they throw like a girl. They got the back end open, right? That point is all over there, sticking way out. You take everything you learn from – any quarterback coach and talking to them and, and how to hold the laces and you teach them that. And, and most of these guys at the level I've been at, you know, they got to put the ring finger in that second slot, right. Uh, on there and have that index finger up there towards the point of the ball. Right. So they can be behind it. And I'll take those guys and I'll literally take them five, five yards apart, apart, be square and work on throwing spirals to each other. Right. And really work on, you know, just taking it, holding it correctly and following through and taking that index finger and pointing it at their target and really teaching those guys to throw before we put anything between our legs whatsoever, okay? So you really start out that way, which is a beautiful thing for big guys because they have no idea how to throw a football. So you're really working with like a, you know, a, a second grader right at a at a quarterback camp you're teaching them how to throw a football <laughs> yeah so you really are working that so we'll do that they'll learn how to throw they think that's pretty sweet and then the next thing we'll do is we'll get them and we'll make sure that their feet are square on a line um, before they even snap the ball and this is a thing i'll tell o-line guys too because strength guys never notice this but if you got a like a left tackle I guarantee that left tackle, when he's squatting, his left foot is always behind his right foot. He's always on stagger, <laughs> right? Always. I mean, you go watch your guys. Oh, yeah. I, I guarantee it's happening. And then, and then what do they say when they got to go to the right side of the line? Like, oh, it just doesn't feel right. I don't know. Well, yeah, because your hips are <laughs> tight one way, buddy. I mean, come on now. So I'll get those guys square, their toes square on the line. We'll take the ball out in front of them. And I always, to those guys, I always put – the laces down on the turf so they got to take the ball and spin it and get their hands on the laces right and I teach them nose of the ball up I want the nose of the ball up okay because it's less surface on the turf or the grass and then I'm teaching them to throw it between their legs and hit the same spot really in their upper thigh right so and then we start stepping with it and, and it's going back there I mean it's it's juiced up like we tell them hey if, if quarterback can't catch a spiral, then we got the wrong dude right back there, right? The quicker we can get it back there, really the more time he has. So that's really the teaching progression. And then what I'll do with those guys is we'll, we'll, play, uh, we'll play horse. We'll play pig all the time with them, right? We'll have a center with a quarterback. And it doesn't have to be a quarterback, but anybody catching it. We'll have like three guys. And I play it with them all the time because I played center. And, uh, and we'll just call it, and I'll start out, and I'll be like uh, – um, the number number one, right pack, boom, and I'll shoot it between my legs and, and hit it, right? And if they hit it, they got to hit it, right? It's just like horse. So they'll play those games, you know, and I'll say, oh, I'll put it on the face mask, put it on the shoulder, that type of deal. So then they start thinking in their head where to put the ball, 
you know, because I'll get specific with them. Then I'll say, Hey, if we're running sprint out to the right, man, like why wouldn't you freaking put it on their right shoulder so we can get our butt out there? Mm-hmm. They'll go, Hey, that's a, that's a good idea. What I'm getting at with all that though, is now you have some correction points too. So if they get in there and you're snapping and you're pulling the center and it's pin and pull and he's pulling to his right and the ball shooting off to the left. Well, yeah. Okay, how do we adjust that, right? Well, I'm going to have to shoot for his right shoulder instead, all right? So then I can be tighter with the snap. So that's kind of the teaching point because the worst thing ever is you get the kid in there that's playing center and he's just worried about doing everything and then the snap's up and it's down it's over here and the coach is hollering at him. It's rolling on the ground. It's, it's over his head, da-da-da-da-da. And, and he has no way to go back and correct it. And so literally if you teach him how to throw – then they have an idea how to aim it and where to put that sucker. And then if the nose of the ball is up, there's less surface for that ball. Now, we've been in the gun, all right? So I know, like, the NFL guys, they got that thing flat, and they're shoveling it through, right? They're really shoveling that sucker up, and they're going under center. I'm the opposite thinking. If the that bottom nose of the ball is what's on the turf, literally, if you slow it down and they snap it, it's more pick up and throw. There's no dragging it on there. So then you don't have the, oh, we're playing in six-inch long grass. I don't know if anybody plays in grass anymore anyway, but you're not dragging it along the grass. And so, so yeah, that's my whole that's all my whole spiel, spiel there snapping the football, but it's been really successful for us, and, and guys have been really good with it, and they take a lot of pride with it. I love that answer. I've never gotten such a clear and concise answer from any coach, I don't think. Well – I just talked to Corey Sauter that I worked with a little while ago, and I said, if you can't hire an O-line coach that teaches you how to snap, then you don't have the right guy because, I mean, you just can't. I've been in that position, you know. How did I become a center? I became a center because the guy before me broke his leg and we didn't have a backup. And I was in there just going, oh, my gosh, you know, just peeing in my pants with the deal, you know. And then you nothing worse, you get in practice. You rolled that one back. This one's over his head. And then, it's like, come on now, you know what I mean? So you, you wouldn't coach him that way, taking a zone step or a lead step or on a combination. So you better coach him that same way, snapping the football as well till it becomes boom firsthand because the worst answer from an online guy is, well, I don't teach them to snap. They just figure it out, you know? And, and that's in the dead ball snap is walls. You might be able to, you know, you're pretty much an Iowa guy now, but that kind of came from Iowa. You know, the dead ball snap is what everybody says. But that's uh, everybody's solution to it, which I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I've seen the ball come back so slow in some games where the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour where that snap is just going sideways. You know, and that's not any good either, playing quarterback when that happens. I'm not a fan of it either. My, my, it's funny because, you know, my brother coaches middle school ball, and, and he and I, th- these are the conversations that he and I have, you know, because it's like, like man I got I got slappy one and slappy two and he's like these guys can't even snap so it's the same thing I mean you're you're constantly having to go back and forth and he's like I I had to teach one of them to dead ball it but then he's like I couldn't get in the shotgun very often because like you said the ball was too slow getting back there yeah he kind of he kind of fixed him midstream to where it'd be okay but you know it's cool to me you know to to hear that stuff and then you know to to seek out a lot of these guys who have to teach you know the guys literally from scratch and you're not going to get that from usually, you know, an NFL guy. So it was cool, man. It's, it was cool to hear that. Well, I appreciate it. Well, Coach, we're, we're rolling up now on an hour. But last thing I always like to ask guys before we let them go is uh, you're watching another team's offensive line. What's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line, Coach? Things that they would be doing that I would think highly of them. Um, I think for me is uh, the biggest thing is watching them in pass pro. I think uh, watching uh, an offensive line and pass pro when they have an understanding of when they should move to space and when they shouldn't is uh, that's when you know they're well coached. And uh, because I think that's the biggest misunderstood principle of coaching offensive line and pass pro is, hey, it's slide pro and everybody slide to this gap. And uh, okay, so you can let two people run off the back edge and kill the quarterback. And you see it at all levels. You see it at, you see it at, I mean, college level, high school. I mean, it doesn't matter. So I always think it's impressive when you see those guys where you got linemen that 
understand that, hey, I don't need to move to this gap because I can see what's going on on the second level while still feeling what's going on on the first level. And then working different sets as far as pass sets, you know, instead of just being vertical all the time or being on an angle, being able to do different sets within quick game, within drop back, within play action, whatever it may be. But that's where I look at those guys, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive because you can't lie, you can't hide anything in the pass pro there because there's not much natural about pass pro run games. Sometimes you can hide some things and have a, a creature block a bunch of different guys. You can have a back make you look good, um, that type of stuff. But I think in pass pro is mono a mono. And, and uh, when you see those guys that are real disciplined and understand how to set a guy and where to move and, uh, and seeing, you know, edge blitz or, or seeing the movement, I think that's when you know that they've been coached up pretty darn well. Coach Ben, it's been an absolute blast. Appreciate, you know, spending an hour with us. And, you know, it's been good, uh, good catching up. And um, I'll be anxious to hear uh, where, you, where you end up. And I, I know you do a hell of a job when you get there, brother. I appreciate you, man. It's good to have you back up in, uh, back in Iowa with Nelly over there. That's good stuff. <laughs> We're having a blast. I think it's, it's driving him nuts. I mean, he's such a social guy that he, he's, he's got to find stuff to do. And, and you know, he's even, like, figuring out Zoom stuff now. And, you know, messing with it and gives him a chance to drop a few F-bombs and swear and I think kind of get, kind of get it out of his system. But, you know, gets to see people because, I mean, that's just the way he is. You know, he wants to, to see dudes and talks to dudes and talk to the kids. So I, I know he's, he's been struggling pretty good with it. But Oh, yeah. Um, there's only, only so many miles he can go on that motorcycle this time of year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hart, before I forget, do you, got, do you know a guy named D.D. Dorsey? I don't personally know him, but everyone in Broken Arrow knew him. At least that were that was my age. He yeah. was um, he was what the only at, at the time there had only been three NFL guys um, from Broken Arrow, and he was one of them. Yeah, he was. Uh, he just got done right before I got to Lindenwood, but uh, yeah, he was something else. He was special, boy. I mean, that was uh, that's why it was an interesting move for me when I went down there because they didn't have to block very many guys. <laughs> no not not at all not for uh and he won i think he won a super bowl yeah yeah i mean he blocked a punt and uh you know he blocked a couple punts like that was the deal in the nfl like he was he was a special cat i mean i went down there when i interviewed and got the job and then like the next day he said hey watch the film and i'm like uh if we got a dude like that why'd you hire me you know <laughs> but they didn't and but he was you know they switched him he wasn't even playing running back they just switched him to running back like in the middle of a game one year and he just went off and the next wow. thing you know, is i mean he was he's in the nfl he's lindenwood to the nfl so yeah that's why I had to. I had to make sure i asked you about that because yeah one of, one of broken arrows finest he was one of the few to make it out Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.